five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Art of Move podcast with myself, Anthony Manuel, my good friend, Dr. William Raybar. We are still out here in the Canadian Rockies trying to find the grand unified theory of human movement, biomechanics, and what it means to live and be in the human body. Today, Will and I are just going to be riffing a little bit. I had some thoughts about movement and intent. A while back, we had a conversation, I think it was with David Weck, and he proposed the question, or we proposed the question, what is the primary driver of locomotion? And I think it was him that answered intent was, was the primary driver. And so ever since then, this idea of intent intermingled with movement and our intent to move, it's kind of been in the back of my mind because I love this idea that intent is what drives us, but then we have to talk about the relationship between the driver and the vehicle. Even the world's best NASCAR driver still needs a vehicle that is tuned well enough to respond to his commands, to respond to his direction. And so we can intend to move. Like I could intend to break dance, but I'm not going to do it <laughs> because, you know, I'm an 185 pound muscle bound dude who doesn't have the dynamic. Uh, you know, experience and equilibrium to do some of the breakdancing moves that these very, very experienced breakdancers have. And so what's, what's the, uh, what's the connection between intent and skill? What's the intent between intent and the actual structure of the mechanism that you're intending to direct? These are all some things that I've, I've been contemplating quite a bit and have been fussing around on. One of the things that kind of made me think about this a lot is when we talk about gait mechanics and we talk about, um, you know, having good form with running and good form with sprinting and, and good technique um, versus, you know, sprinting without thinking about technique and watching my gait pattern change over time. My intent has always been the same thing. Run as fast as I can in a straight line ahead of me. And with that same intent, over time, as I've been changing my structure, as I've been doing different uh, pattern practices for more efficient gait patterning, as I've been doing all these things, the translation of my intent to run forward has changed in its physical manifestation. Um, I've watched my gait change month after month after month as I've been do doing some of the strength training work, gait patterning work. And so I've been fascinated by this, by this idea because my intent has always just been run forward, sprint as fast as you can forward. And then how that manifests through my body has changed so much. So that's like a bit of what's been on my mind and kind of what I wanted to riff with you on today. Will any initial thoughts just on the subject as a whole? Oh, uh, I think there's intent in the moment and then intent overall. I think this basically comes down to a free will debate at the end, at the end of the day, it, it goes into the source of consciousness. And mm. the reason I think that is because um, basically are we, it, it comes down to, are we are the, some of the parts, right? I can look at the neurons in my brain and I can say, here are the tracks that go from here to here. Right. And I can, I can show you the map of, of that track, but what is the source that's leading me there? Right. What is the actual source of the intent on that scale, right? So it, it can go down to that level too. And I'd like to bring it down to that level eventually, maybe not start there, but right. Um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll do a little bit of a place to start could be this sure. differentiation between states of consciousness and how it relates to intent. So mm -hmm. as far as I have been thinking about it lately, there is an unintentional state of consciousness, which is mostly unconscious or automatic or habitual or compulsive. And so a person is not really thinking, they're just behaving on impulse or instinct. There's no conscious intent necessarily, like no metacognitive intent or no uh, intrinsic personal uh, ego, ego as in personality based sense of self oriented intent other than like, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat a, you know, eat food. It's the morning. I'm going to drink coffee. Uh, I'm going to just pull up my phone and, you know, unconscious, habitual, compulsive behavior. Um, mm -hmm. when then moving up from that, you have conscious intent, you have conscious behavior. So things where you are deliberately thinking and you're premeditating and there is an interaction between your mind and the moment you're actively thinking about what you're going to be doing next. So if you're learning a new skill, like when, when, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about deliberately trying to learn a dance move. 
I'm observing how the person's feet are moving and then I'm thinking about my feet moving that way and then I move my feet that way and then I'm observing is like, is that right? And then I'm making little iterations, but I'm consciously involved. It's very energy intensive. I have to pay attention. I have to make iterations. It's effort. It's, uh, it's concentration. It's focus. It's willpower. It's the exerting conscious intent to, you know, interact with a situation, your environment, whatever it happens to be. A layer above that is another form of consciousness where that personality or that mind is not present. And that's flow state. So you're, you, you, you now are here and you're not thinking, you're not stepping in, you know, you're, basically your mind is not stepping in between you and the action. But there is still this sense that there is a core consciousness that is intending this thing to move forward. And so I think of the flow state as like when I'm playing music, I'm not premeditating the note. I'm not listening to the song and thinking, well, I just played a C, so uh, next up is an E. And you know, like when I'm learning music, I'm doing that. When I'm learning the technique, I'm doing that. But after a while, it becomes unconscious competency, right? It becomes this thing where I'm able to do this without thinking about it. And so there's no intercession between mind, focus, consciousness in that sense. But I'm still here. I'm still doing this thing. But my sense of self, my ego, my personality, maybe I forget myself. Even when I'm having this conversation right now, even as I'm articulating these ideas, I'm not premeditating my next word. I'm kind of letting whatever ideas flow as a result of the, the movement of this energy of this idea is kind of happening through me. Not It doesn't even feel like I'm necessarily having this conversation. I'm necessarily the one who is, you know, premeditating and focusing and like deliberately putting together each phrase to produce a particular idea. But because I have the competency of expressing myself and I've, I've practiced doing podcasts and I, I speak and I articulate in a particular way, I can channel the ideas and the energy and, and the concepts through me. Even if I don't necessarily feel like a strong sense of self is interceding in that. Does that make sense? It, it does. And it, the, the question I would ask and uh, I'm not really challenging the idea. I'm more of asking the question, does all flow state have to come from your previous competence? Because you're, you speaking, you've practiced this a million times. Uh, I get in flow states very easily skiing, but I've been skiing since I was three years old, right? Um, when I learn a movement, obviously I'm not in flow state right away, right? Um, but after a while, I can get into flow state here and there right? Where I'm not thinking about anything. It's just working out, feels great. Uh, feels like time's going slower, all that, but does uh, flow state always come with conscious competence first and an, a, a large amount of it? I would say yes. I, I, In any example I can think about. Anyway. I, yeah. I, like it's the idea of effortlessness is earned through intense effort. And so mm -hmm. when we work on something tremendously. Like when I'm practicing scales on my guitar, when I was spending 14, 16 hours a day playing guitar as a teenager, that's how I was able to access flow state in a very short amount of time. I developed, you know, these neurological connections, these maps of understanding that allow me to do this without having to think about it. I think it's when you don't have a pre-existing uh, network of understanding hardwired into your system that you can't just turn off the conscious mind and, and allow yourself to express in those ways. So I think, you know, it's, it's like flow states are earned. Effortlessness mm -hmm. is earned by immense effort. That's really yes. how I kind of look at it. I, and I agree. And I saw a football <coughs> entangled, uh, post the other day and I love football entangled stuff. And he was talking about, um, basically flow state during your game. If you're thinking too much and I, I used to play soccer as well. This is a soccer, um, account. I used to play soccer and when I think too much or when I was doing drills too much or being too rigid, I wouldn't play as well, mm. right? I was thinking about the ball coming at me and what type of maneuver I was going to do. It didn't go too well. I wanted to get into instinct and he was saying, you know, do basic meditation by, and it was very basic by going back into your senses. And that brings you back to a more primal state. Then you're allowed or allow yourself to more easily access flow state because you already practiced it. You don't need to practice anymore. Just go. Right. And I would, so. I, I would say too, there's a, there's an interesting differentiation between like the frequency that someone does something does not necessarily translate into 
the competency required to get into like one of those ecstatic transcendent uh, transcendental flow states. Mm -hmm. For example, like most people who drive have driven their entire lives. I forget where I heard this metaphor. I, I, I have not, I didn't come up with this myself, but, um, a person who drives around in their Subaru is not going to be able to get on a NASCAR track just because they've driven, you know, over a hundred thousand hours in their life, you know, just cause mm -hmm. you've driven like a gazillion miles doesn't mean that you're automatically going to be a NASCAR driver. There has to be a conscious involvement in the development of a particular skill and a familiarization with a particular environment or situation that allows you to unconsciously or super consciously navigate it. Yeah, going back to that uh, football example or soccer example, mm. watching South American players play, I noticed that, and I think everyone can notice this, that they're much smoother. Like the, the flow is much in their movements are much less rigid than Western players, European players who go to soccer academies from the time they're, you know, six years old to and have a structured rigid program. Same with the US and Canada, right? That's how it's done there where you're playing in the uh, on the streets in the favelas of Brazil and playing yeah. against older players who just teach you stuff. And then you just learn on the fly that this is much different than being in a structured program. And to what you said before, on top of like, you know, being in a Subaru and not being able to uh, be a NASCAR driver, that goes to the same thing as like, somebody's like, I'm old. So therefore I'm, I've accumulated this knowledge. It's like, that doesn't mean that much. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, elderly people are more likely to be knowledgeable and wise, but just because you made it a certain age doesn't mean you accomplished that, uh, you know, being wise, right? You have to point. actually earn it. And uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting. It's a very good point. Um, yeah. I, just, you know, on the soccer example too, where you're thinking about like, you know, people playing on the streets of Brazil and they're not necessarily drilling things, but what they are developing is repetitive exposure to situations that help them develop an intuition on how to respond to yield certain outcomes. Right. And so it's like, mm -hmm. you can drill hypothetical scenarios. You can run around cones and stuff, but if you're a kid who's out there playing soccer for 12 hours a day, barefoot in the streets against some really, really slick players, you start to learn to anticipate certain outcomes. You start to learn how to react to real players as opposed to, you know, drilling these things that might not actually translate to you, you know, being, being triggered in the moment when you're confronted with the real life scenario of it. That's when mm -hmm. you unlock, you, like you said, that, that almost instinctual, that intuitive flow to, to handle and navigate these situations. It's very interesting because I played soccer as a kid and when I was like 10, 11 years old, I was really, really good. Like I was, I felt like I had the instinct, right. And I was getting those next level touches and I, I led the league in scoring when I was like 11. Uh, I was really good player. And then I started getting into the gym and doing cone drills and stuff like that, where I was told do it. And I became way more rigid as a player. Although I was fast, I could go to A and B fast. I can get around a cone super fast. I lost that instinct because one, I didn't play. And two, I made my body more uh, rigid and powerful, right? Mm. So I was more of a powerful player versus a instinctual player. Like take a look at Messi's quads. Like they're tiny. Messi's a tiny player. Like you can't really tell me, or maybe you can tell me that Messi would be way better if he was in this weight training program um, doing power cleans and, uh, then he would be able to take that on the field and still be instinctual. And like, he'd be amazing. Yeah, maybe, but that's not what I'm seeing. Right. So well, this is, this is the original, this is like Goda's original market proposition when they came out on the thing where it's like, Hey, you're, you're, in, you're inputting nervous system inputs by weightlifting and the weightlifting input is not the same as the locomotive input. And so they were the first person or the first people that I heard talking about, like, if you do this, then from a nervous system perspective and from like a habitual perspective of how your body handles force and moves force, you're going to revert back to these positions, making you more prone to injury. And this is an interesting thing. This is like, this is one of the things that made me think about the questioning intent where it's like, okay, I can intend to move. I can even visualize the good um, you know, mechanics, if I'm, if I'm watching the slow motion videos and I can picture and I'm firing my mirror neurons to try and figure that out, but my nervous system is more practiced to handle loads and forces in a particular way. 
you know, unconsciously because I'm, because these flow states, because these automatic behaviors are not happening on a conscious level intervened by the mind necessarily, what's going to be a more powerful force in expressing my intent, my visualization of good mechanics or the way that my body has subconsciously learned to handle force for like a year, two years, 10 years. It's very interesting because, um, I think you can get closer to a natural pattern. Like the stuff that I do, I want to get as close to what I believe as the blueprint of the body, right? So pressure waves, uh, moving energy, okay? And being smooth with movement. So I do multiple different disciplines to get there. But if I was to go into a particular sport, I would still have to be instinctual in that sport. I would still mm. have to go play in the favelas of Brazil for years. I'm at 40 years old, probably not going to happen. But uh, <laughs> basically, I would have to do that to actually get the football instinct. And mm. I keep going back between football and soccer. I mean, soccer, right? So, yeah. um, or any sport by that matter. But if your intent is to actually have, my intent's to be a ninja. So like, and as I age to get better and better at natural motion, so I can take it into anything. But if I take it into a particular aspect, then I'm going to have to get better at that. Now, with that said, let's say I'd go into wrestling right now. Somebody who can uh, squat 600 pounds and deadlift 600 pounds will probably slam me. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the reality of it because that is the demand of the sport. Okay. <laughs> but um, would they like, are they able to live in their body and access flow states? Are you giving up a lot to get there? Right. Mm. So that's, that's another question. Right. And Sorry, go well, ahead. And maybe maybe their flow state is accessed not in their day to day when they're expressing normal movement, but when they're in a scenario where they're wrestling because they practice the techniques and they're learning to express their strength that they're gaining in the gym through slamming people. You know, they would access flow states when they're responding and reacting and instinctu instinctually um, interacting with a wrestling scenario because that's what they're specializing and that's what their nervous system, that's what their attention is going, that's where their focus is going. And that's where they could access their flow states. But in, when you're talking about, okay, yeah, but like, how are they living in their bodies? Are they able to, you know, be comfortable enough in their day-to-day -day behaviors and the natural movements that they have to do day in and day out to access their flow states in the day-to-day? -day? Are they able to like experience that? That's what I interpreted what you said. Yeah. Like uh, it's really a separation, like the culture, is very much oriented towards sports. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like if you're getting better at sports, your body's getting better. I don't believe that necessarily to be true. I believe most sports are specialties. Most exercise is specialty, right? Mm. So, um, to access flow states, you may have to go straight into your sport, right? Mm. Like for me to access flow state in skiing, I had to do it since I was three. It's not a natural thing at all. You're in these Robocop boots. You're in these weird <laughs> patterns. Uh, I couldn't expect someone who is only skied for 10 years or let's say five years to access a flow state um, right away. It's just not mm. going to happen, but it's in a specialized sport, right? So I want to be able to access flow states more so on a generalized basis. So I go for a run, I access a flow state, right? Mm. And I've been able to do this now. I've been able to access flow states in multiple different avenues because I believe I'm working from a blueprint that is more natural. And being right. outside helps too. So, so you're finding, well, this is an interesting thing. It's, it's more of the, like how many applicable <laughs> carryover benefits can I have by maximizing my ability to access flow state using this particular pattern. Right. And this is like where people are like, Oh, what does squatting translate to? It's faster running. It's, you know, like the ability to slam people, but like, what does it translate to in terms of like movement capacity in terms of like natural patterning and stuff that that doesn't have as clear of a, a carryover to me. Right. Well, and uh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Well, and again, like I, I used this example on a previous episode of a, a, a gymnast who can do like a planche and like hold themselves up on the ring. And then when they, sit down on a bench press, they can intend to bench like 315 pounds despite never benching in their life. And they can do that because they have the requisite carryover strength and the ability to express their intent through that expression of strength, I guess. And I'm, I'm really fascinated by the word expression because like, okay, there was this old coaching story that I was told years ago. Uh, 
it's like sort of like a coaching riddle. And so there are three frogs sitting on a log by a river and two of them intend to jump off. How many frogs are still left on the log? One. All three of them. Because just because oh, they, they intended to do it, it they didn't yeah. actually do it. Yeah. Right. And so Tricky. there's a difference between intent and action. Yeah. Um, I think flow state is basically closing the gap entirely between intent and action. There's no separation between intent and action in the flow state. Hmm. Inter interesting. But then it goes to what is intent? Is intent conscious or unconscious? And where does intent actually come from? You know what I mean? Like, right. That and so this is, this is, you know, when I said, uh, you know, like I, f I find flow state, uh, uh, like something where my conscious mind is not intervening between me and the action. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, where does, where does that intent come from? Is it conscious or unconscious? I think that flow state is a super conscious state. So it is a state of unconscious competency. Um, I was just saying that that flow state isn't like unconscious, it's super conscious. So it's, it's still trans. Yeah. It's like, it's not an absence of your mind. It's not an absence of your, your, yourself, you know, your, your core centered self, where I find like unconscious behaviors, compulsion, instinct, animalistic, lower order expression of like the, the animal side of our bodies, the physical, the physicality of our bodies, trying to find its homeostasis, trying to feed and fuck basically. And wait, I, I don't, I'll challenge that. It's, I'm not yeah. saying it's an entire, okay. yeah. I'm just saying this is like, like, this is my, like my, my experience of like being a human is that that's yeah. a side of me, but then there's a metacognition that is like my, my awareness, my consciousness, mm -hmm. my will. So it's like my felt sense of sense or, or my felt sense of self expressed through mind. And then above that is like my consciousness, which is the self absent of mind acting from pure intent. And that's kind of how I look at it. So it's like it, there's, there's a super conscious state which transcends mind and that's not unconscious because I'm still here. I'm still participating. I'm still involved and directly involved in the experience. Um, I just find that unconsciousness is so, so, so flow state is, is automatic behavior with intent and unconscious behavior is automatic behavior without intent other than like a pre-programmed intent or a habitual or a compulsive intent that is hardwired into our systems, either through like, you know, primitive genetic coding or from habitual conditioning or social conditioning. So that, that begs the question, what is the mind? Okay. And like, what, so here's a, here's a ski example, right? With intent. If you're listening to a, like, let's say that you're listening to a hardcore song, right? Which I don't really do, but it's like, you know, like it's, it's that sort of thing, right? How are you going to ski? Are you going to ski gracefully? It's probably not going to happen. You're going to ski aggressively, right? And I can get in flow state doing that, but that's a certain energy. And then let's say uh, I'm listening to Mozart and I'm going down the hill. I'll probably be flowing and, uh, you know, being graceful with the hill, right? Or if I'm listening to rap, I'll probably be jumping from one thing to the other and like, being steezy as I, as I go down. Right. So, um, all of those are different energies with the intent, mm. but it also begs the question that I was going to say, it's like, what is the mind? Like, can we define what the mind is? Is it the brain? Is it part of the brain? Is it something else? What is the mind to you? So I can only speak from the perspective of what is the experience of the mind. Right. Um, and I could talk about it philosophically because physiologically, I don't, have a clear answer to that. Like what is the mind? Let's speculate theoretically on a quantum level. Let's a speculate. Do you level. want me to go first? I'll, I'll go first. Go first, okay. man. You go first. Okay, go first. And I'll riff off okay, that. so we have the hardware. I look at it <clears throat> like the brain is hardware. Okay. And uh, we have the parts and the parts are necessary, right? <clears throat> so there is a, uh, the hard problem of science is where is consciousness arising from? Can I cut Will's head open and find memories stored in a certain area? Can I, can I find Will's love for blue? Can I find uh, the love for my pet or my girlfriend or like my parents? Where's, where's that held, right? Where, where is that assembled? The hard scientists, the materialists, and this is a materialist, materialist philosophy Okay. And that's what the paradigm we're under. Almost everybody has taught this. 
is that you are a sum of the parts in your brain. You are the sum of the neurons coming together, firing. We just don't know how yet, but uh, we're the sum of the neurons firing, and that is love. It's basically on atomic level pool balls hitting each other, and somehow those come together and give you love, right? I'm not a believer in this. I believe there's something else that we haven't found that we kind of found but haven't found, and that is that we're, we operate more like a Wi-Fi system that uh, resonates with energy that you put out, okay? And what what is this energy? I'm not sure. Have we found it? No. But we've had 100 years to find the other system, which is uh, working under the paradigm of materialist. It's within the brain. We can come close enough to it where we go on an fMRI machine. You go in the MRI machine. You think... Anthony, uh, take a look at this uh, hot girl on this piece of paper, and uh, we'll see what light what lights up your brain. It's going to be the amygdala, limbic system, right? And we go, oh, there it is. That that's responsible for it, right there. That limbic system. Okay, that's the paradigm we're under right now. Now, what caused that limbic system to fire? Okay, or or, and you're inferring that the source of your love. I shouldn't say love or your lust is within the limbic system. That's mm. the inference that is available right now. I'm going to share my screen. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I was going to say before that, before I forget, I think we operate more like a Wi-Fi system. Okay. Mm. So we, we need the parts, the parts are necessary. Uh, the computer analogy, the laptop analogy is I have a keyboard. It's necessary to type. Okay. But if I want to talk on the internet, I need a Wi-Fi to get or an ethernet, but we'll say Wi-Fi in order to be able to communicate with you. I'm communicating with you through Wi-Fi right now. Okay. Which is mind blowing in itself. Right. Mm. So, um, I think the brain operates more like a Wi-Fi system. I think, uh, you can call it the ether, the field. I think currently quantum physics calls it the field that, uh, I call it ether. Uh, other people call it something else, but I think there is something that has a collection of consciousness okay mm. now let me share my screen and i'm going to show you something here can i just riff off one point yeah absolutely made? yeah so yeah. one of the things that i saw recently while i was scrolling instagram in an unconscious state was there's this uh ai tool that could read the electromagnetic impulses of a person's thoughts mm -hmm. to feed to an ai mm -hmm. to ask questions to this AI and then it would feed back through vibrations in this little earpiece the answer to the question that this person thought and so he sat down with an interviewer had, had a bunch of random questions and he's like he's asking what the capital of countries are and what the populations are and he has no idea but it's showing up on the screen and it's showing in real time how it's like this little device is reading the signature of his thoughts clear enough that it can ask this AI a question and feed him the answers. And so he's finding all these answers to these questions that he didn't know the answer to. Sorry, it's I'm not clear on how that's wor how that works. Can you explain a little bit further? So you, so have, a little, so you have like a little earpiece, you have like a little thing that's like registering electromagnetic impulses. Sure. From your thoughts, right? Uh -huh. And so say I say, um, what's the capital of Canada, right? Yes. And so you hold in your mind the thought, what is the capital of Canada? And you just keep repeating it. And yeah. then it reads those signatures. It can identify language and it will translate your question into a comprehensible language for an AI to like, like chat GPT, for example. Uh -huh. And then it'll give you the answer and it'll feed it back through vibrations, like basically almost like a speaker into your ear. So you think the question and then you receive the answer in your ear using an AI. Uh, I don't believe it. I, I'll, I, I just, please send me that. Please yeah. send me that. Cause I see My, a lot of promises out there. And, um, so the, the, the point of even talking yeah. about that is more to bring up the point that thoughts have an electromagnetic signature that you can physically measure. Right. And whether or not they've, they've done it to the extent where it can decipher the exact electromagnetic signature of words. Maybe that's like a totally fake post that's, you know, just trying to get social media clicks and stuff. Very, mm -hmm. very possible. It's like, it's very sci-fi esque, but the idea is like, we know that we can actually measure electromagnetic signatures of not only thoughts, but also like emotional tone associated with thoughts. We can measure the tone of the frequency, but not the exact thought in, in my, uh, 
understanding uh, right now. Like I can't think of something and the thing interpret the exact thing that I've thought. They may look at the area of the brain, see it light up and infer that I'm thinking a certain way. Let's say my uh, cerebral cortex lights up in a certain area. That means those fibers, nerve bundles associated with a certain behavior go and light up. So that certain behavior can be inferred from that area. Sure. But I don't know about the exact, I'd love to see that to be honest. Well, and, let and, me, and let again, me share like, something here. Of course. And the point, and I just wanted to say just the point of yeah. that wasn't even to talk about the technology itself. It was more just to draw attention to the electromagnetic nature of our thoughts and our experience. Like when we have like our experience of mind is mostly mental in terms of the thoughts that we have, right? Like we can, yeah. uh, there, our thoughts have electromagnetic signatures. When you're talking about this idea of like a Wi-Fi signal, your brain is like a Wi-Fi or radio receiver. It's because there is literally an electromagnetic signal associated with your thoughts. Yeah, so, no, I, I agree with that. I'm going farther though in hmm. the uh, inference is that it's somewhere out there in a like Buddhists would call it an Akashic record or, uh, you know, field of consciousness. Uh, I know Joe Dispenza and Bruce Lipton talk about mm, this. The um, I can't field. yet prove it, but um, I believe that there's enough uh, anecdotal evidence. And I wouldn't call it evidence. I would say anecdote from millions and millions of people talking about being able to look back when they know someone's looking or, uh, oh, I coincidentally was just thinking about you. Things like that, right? Where there's an inference made. And uh, let me let me pull this up, okay? Yeah. 25-year bet about consciousness has finally been settled. So I, huh. I guess they haven't seen the post you, you're you talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> because uh, basically they made a bet over are they going to be able to find the source of consciousness within the brain? And mm. the uh, there was a philosopher and a brain scientist who wagered a bet. Brain scientist is like, yeah, we're going to easily, because he knows he's a materialist, the brain scientist. He knows that it's within the brain 100%. And the philosopher is like, no, it's not within the brain. Um, let's make a bet 25 years. And it's been settled. And the brain scientist has, of course, lost in my mind. What was their um, bet? Uh, that they would find the source of consciousness within the brain. Within the brain. Okay. Yeah. So uh, your matter, the matter within the brain can uh actually hold your memories mm. your consciousness your you know uh what comes up when i say anthony you think of a pink elephant the the consciousness that comes up within that or smell this flower like the your love for the smell of a flower right mm. that is within the brain in the billiard ball hitting each other somehow your love for your mom is somehow just billiard balls hitting each other and that, those billiard balls, of course, being atoms, right? So, uh, yeah, basically, this is a scientific article, American article, but it's in a lot of different scientific magazines. Uh, just type in 25-year-old bet about consciousness, and you'll find it, and you can go and read it from a whole bunch of different sources. Mm. I'm just saying that science has had a long time to uh, prove this. Can't still be proved. Um, all resources are going towards this philosophy, materialism, mm. and it's not panning out. And the best we can do so far from what I've seen is fMRI machines that light up certain areas and they definitely exist like parts on a computer. I need my Wi-Fi router and I need my computer the, to have the ability to search for the Wi-Fi. And, uh, that is the actual physical part, but in terms of the source of consciousness still hadn't been found. Mm. And so when yeah. you're talking about like, I'm, I'm the type of person that generally looks for ways that opposing views can be reconciled or work together, as opposed to trying to choose one over the other first, um, and seeing if there's an opportunity for the two to come together. And so the places that I see these two models of understanding materialism and, you know, a brand unified fields of consciousness where all information, which, you know, candidly speaking, has been my experience of consciousness and the way things work. When I talk about accessing these super conscious flow states, I don't feel like I am here doing things. Like I don't feel like I am writing half the time when I'm writing posts for my clients or I'm writing uh, you know, an article or something. I don't feel like I'm the one who writes songs 
there's been so many times where I've picked my guitar up and a song comes through me and I'm like, I didn't write that. I don't know where the hell that came from, but that wasn't me. But here it is. It's my song because it came through me, I guess. But there's, you know, there's something that feels bigger than my mind, bigger than my personality, bigger than, you know, this small, you know, like this being that is contained here in this limited way that is flowing through me. That consciousness is flowing through me. And so the way that I can kind of see materialism being reconciled within that, when you're talking about, you know, the billiard balls banging up against each other, well, you know, when, when people think about atoms and molecules and cells and you break it down, when you break it down to its most fundamental constituents, according to quantum theory anyway, is that it's energy, it's waves, you know, like particles fundamentally, when you break them down to the most fundamental part, it, it's, it's part of the unified field as an expression of energy. That's my understanding. And so when you're talking about being a radio rece receiver, if you're holding a, a particular energy um, within yourself, a particular state of consciousness or state of being, that allows for a certain physical manifestation associated. I think we could probably map out a lot of the physical manifestations of different thoughts and energies. And so I think that there are hormones and neurochemicals and different things that are associated with states of being and we can, we can map the materialist uh, consequences of how consciousness interacts with this field to create material reality. Well, that's what we've been doing. The, for, like, science has been doing that exact thing for, for forever. Since, mm. since we've been born and since our parents and their grandparents have been born, that's the thought process behind it. And that's where it's gone. And that's why everyone's like dopamine or serotonin. And, and you blame your behaviors on these hormones, which are obviously there. And associated associated with certain behaviors so that is what's put on the forefront of the mind but what's denied is the field okay the field is denied and the materialists say it has to be within the brain it has to be there's no other way because then we're going into ghost territory okay or spiritual territory and spirituality does not exist in the way that there's an outside uh, of material essence of the body science denies spirituality to a major degree if not completely okay like uh you're on the outside of the mainstream if you're invoking spirituality of any kind um we are all come up with like and it's very obvious to us like to me when i'm being a materialist going through university it's so obvious that we're all just material spinning on this rock uh, we're all, um, from the, like evolved from a great ancestor a great ape ancestor, and our behaviors have evolved throughout time to give us what we have right here. This massively intelligent, uh, designed down to the cellular level. We still can't replicate a cell by the way, like not even a single cell can't even replicate RNA. And we've made all these inferences on top of it. It's crazy. Right. But what I'm saying is also crazy because there's no uh, philosophical background to uh, place it upon. And uh, religious, uh, what, what should I say here? Like uh, traditional religion also draws upon the similar type of uh, philosophy. So hmm. you can be thrown into the camp of religious, which is fine. Right. I, I really don't care. I, I do believe we're intelligently designed. Um, what process that has come from? Not sure, but the belief is really in the, the proof. Like if I backwards engineered my eye and took a look at it or even a single cell, I'm, I'm going with intelligent design every single time. And I'm willing to put my like uh, reputation of thought on the line for that because I, I think it's just very obvious to me. But for now, it's not the thought process of quantum physics. It is right. and it isn't. They're, they're mm. moving that way, I think. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I mean, like, I've, I think there is a lot of virtue and validity to looking at the, you know, like the, the material realities of our body and, and being cognizant of things of like how, you know, decreased levels of dopamine can affect us, how excessive levels of serotonin. It's interesting, you know, serotonin is talked about as like the happy chemical, but like more and more people now are talking about how increased levels of serotonin are actually associated with causative factors of anxiety causes psychosis in high amounts. It's actually terrible for you. It's worse for your mental health. 
And then people are actually looking into the research around SSRIs. Turns out that there's not a tremendous amount of valid scientific evidence for the efficacy of SSRIs against a placebo. That's interesting. That, but that kind of misinformation can influence the, the mass consciousness of like so many people because these, these material realities do have an impact on us. Absolutely. Looking at the similarities <laughs> of how our bodies instinctually work for self-preservation, whether you want to call it uh, like an evolutionary imperative or you want to talk about it as a biological imperative where it's just like part of our nature to want to preserve energy and get the most rewards for the least amount of effort maintaining as much homeostasis as possible and reproduce. Like these are things that are like ingrained in our physicality, ingrained in our nature as a fail safe, you know, as part of the design, if, if you will, mm -hmm. to allow the species to propagate and for consciousness to continue its expression in this particular unfolding way. Um, I think my own, like one of my biggest areas of personal development has been acknowledging my animal self and learning to tame it. And Acknowledging that there is a metacognitive part of me that has higher intentions for the expression of my life, but that higher expression sometimes gets fatigued or distracted or succumbs to, you know, the, the energy efficiency of instant gratification because there's a biological imperative within me. A part of my nature wants to preserve more than expand. And that's that's an interesting tug of war because it's like, okay, well, I know from this level of consciousness, this metacognition, this awareness to look into the future and project and imagine and, and you know, expand on possibility, that is almost dragging along this animal body along for the ride. I really do have to tame the, the, the animal, the physical being to behave in a way that is conducive to my intent. And so this has been a part of my process in terms like I have very, very addictive behaviors. I have very, very highly distractible tendencies. Uh, I'm a very naturally indulgent person. And I'm sure you can even see glimpses of that in my social media content, right? But like, this is, these are parts of myself that I've had to integrate. And this is why I like integrate, like the idea of integration. Um, even like I'm saying, oh, you have to almost treat them. It's like, I have this metacognition and then this animal and the metacognition is taming the animal, but it's not. There's no separation there. That's fucking schizophrenic. You know, I'm not, I'm not disintegrating myself into multiple parts. This is all just me. And I'm learning to integrate all these aspects of my consciousness and my experience and my, um, you know, my body to work as one unit to move towards a, a common goal, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I think you just described um, basically merging materialism, which I'm not denying materialism. It's obviously there. You're physical. I mean, through the screen, I can't, I can't hit you, but like you're, you're a physical body. I'm a physical body. There's definitely material within us. Hormones exist. All that is, is there. Right. And it, yeah, you're right. It doesn't all have to integrate together, but what's denied is not material, right? right. Like non-material and the, like when you were talking about SSRIs, I haven't actually looked into them, so I can't speak specifically on that, but is there a promise of changing like let's say uh somebody needs an ssri or, or i shouldn't even say that someone comes in and is like hey and i'm not talking about me personally let's say someone has an issue and it stems from childhood right um you can give somebody a a pill for that a pharmaceutical and that's going to mask the symptoms i don't think that most pharma is made to actually solve the initial root problem that's not even the promise that's not the promise at all, but we, as like a society, most people kind of by default think that if my symptom goes away, then the problem is solved, but it may just be solved for the time being. So I'm solving the material problem that has arised. So let's say, uh, dope, I'll take an easy example, dopamine, right? I'm on TikTok all day, just scrolling through stuff. I love just getting dopamine hits like all day. Okay. And my brain starts to, you know, by lack of a better word, fry. Okay. And I'm just getting dopamine rewards all day. And I feel depressed when I'm not on TikTok. So I go back to TikTok and I just start scrolling. Right. And I'm getting those dopamine hits. And then all of a sudden I get into reality and things aren't just hitting me with dopamine like that. So what's my issue? Dopamine. I need to regulate that out of my nerve, nervous receptors, which are material. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I've taken the materialist problem. 
and I found a solution to the to the actual issue. And my issue is that I'm having these symptoms and it's hard to live in the real world now. So can you just hit me with, with some like pharmaceuticals and that will solve my problem because I'm no longer in this uh, ang anxious state. But is that material or do you have another issue that's underlying that or another well, hundred issues that I can, you know, you go through with questions right. and then finally get to the base of that? Maybe non-material. Well, and it's interesting, right? Because you can handle a material issue like that. And I have by deliberately avoiding exposure to hyper dopaminergic things so that your baseline dopamine levels do regulate and you actually get a reward from intrinsic effort. Like that's something that like I have to do on a regular fucking basis is check myself in terms of how much easy dopamine I'm getting because it makes me like psychologically incapable of focusing on important work that I have to do. I cannot write copy. I cannot make sales pages. I can't run ad campaigns. I like if I'm on social media too much, I become fucking useless. And I've just noticed this about myself, like fucking useless. It's, it's almost, it's almost comical and limiting exposure to the dopaminergic thing for like a day and then getting the rewards from intrinsic effort or, or, you know, just hard things with delayed gratification. All of a sudden my body's like, Oh yeah, this is great. Not only that, it's usually more satisfying because I get into a flow state, which is like a very highly pleasurable state of consciousness to in inhabit, right? You're able to access deep work states, deep work flow states. So I, th I think you're still describing materialism though. So, so let, let me so, can, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So let me give a, a better example. Okay. I'm a baby and my father ignores me. Okay. And I'm not getting any dopamine in that time. And I become anxious. I, I start crying. My parents lock me in a room. I become anxious. I don't even know if this is good or not. Right. So I'm just saying, I'm just giving an example. Mm -hmm. Parents lock me in my room. I feel like I'm in a dungeon. I have this anxiety. I start to build that up. Okay. Now fast forward to an adult. I'm on TikTok. I'm hitting them with dopamine. I'm like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is awesome. Right. I'm getting my dopamine hits. Now, uh, I get the pill and it solves the, like I get the dopamine regulated or, or I figure it out in that moment. I'm like, you know what? I need to be more disciplined. And then I regulate my dopamine that way, but I haven't gone back to the childhood problem and solve that. But wait a second in your brain, they would go, okay, I, on the fMRI, I can see the part of the brain that is lighting up and we've gone back and we found that childhood issue. Is that childhood issue the same issue that you have in as, as an adult? Is that consciousness you had as a child uh, also material? Do you get what I'm saying? Because you have so, a feeling. So the, like feeling one, of the, one of the arguments could be, yeah, well, it could be like <clears throat> as, as a child, you're developing new neural connections to create frameworks for how the world works and how you deal with certain stressors. So you could argue from a materialist perspective, okay, yeah. you're a baby, you're locked in your room because you're crying. All of a sudden, your brain is hardwiring this idea that – your needs are not met when you're in stress, when you're under duress. Yeah. And so you can't count on other people in your life and you subconsciously program this in. And because you're a kid, you don't really understand it. You don't have the other linguistic frameworks to do it. So you have this, like you have an associative memory, a hardwired associative memory with a feeling of duress and then the inability to soothe or be soothed. Right. And so now you have this hardwired thing. There's a, there's a, a therapy called EDMR, I think. Yeah, EDMR, and it's like a bilateral stimulation of your brain that is supposed to emulate the uh, the rapid eye movement that happens when you're asleep. And during that rapid eye movement, what happens is your neurology, your nervous, your uh, your nerve networks rearrange themselves to create new contexts. And it's basically it's like all right, we have all this new information, we need to systematize it. Um, here's the rapid eye movement thing. And now all of a sudden it's put into this cohesive system. Now, the thing is that like the cohesive systems of how we handle stress in our life is not always productive. It's not always useful. For example, if you're like a baby and you don't know how to self soothe and you now are searching for instant gratification because you don't feel capable and you don't feel loved and you don't feel blah, 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 blah. You have this thing, it's a maladaptive, uh, neural network. 
when you go as an adult and you have now the prerequisite linguistic frameworks and you have the ability to logically rationalize that you're safe and that your parents were doing the best you can and you have basically the perspective of an adult not a scared child that doesn't have any context for how the world works you go back in and you access some of these memories with this rapid eye movement thing and you regress back the memory and the different associative things i've done this it's crazy you have all these like little associative memories that seem completely unrelated but it's all following the same thread of one root thing that you experienced when you were super fucking young it's trippy you're going through this and you're, you're going you're having all these flashbacks and then all of a sudden you recontextualize it and now you have an adaptive framework instead of a maladaptive framework so I think when, when you're talking about like, is consciousness contained in the brain? What I'm hearing you, you say is that it, it, the, the energetic signatures of how consciousness expresses itself materially might show up physically in the brain, mm -hmm. but that's us channeling that energy through that physical structure. So consciousness is not contained in the brain. It is channeled through the brain. It is channeled through the brain into the nervous system, into the body and expressed as a human phys physiological experience. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I experienced. That's my own mental framework for how this works. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so the only thing that's denied is the fact that it's channeling through you, but everything that you said is, is like exactly very much summed up perfectly. Right. Um, Cause I do, I do think that our memories and our behaviors and our habits and our, there is like a hardwiring thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like there is, there is a hardwiring reality and we can only, and this is the idea of expression, right? Expression. We can only express what our, our structure and our, and our physiologically supported uh, nature allows for. This is where it like started with movement where it's like, oh, you know, I can intend to run and sprint with perfect form, but that's not happening because I don't have the, the requisite nervous system inputs. I don't have the requisite strength or structure. I don't have the requisite uh, patterning practice. I don't have any of the requisites for me to actually, I can visualize it, but it's still not going to fucking happen. I have to earn it. I have to program it. I have to code it into my body. And that's the same thing with mental frameworks. That's the same thing with behavioral frameworks. That's the same, like anything that we do, we have to like have some sort of physiologically supportive structure and framework for us to express it. And that's like, for me, like I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with self-actualization. I think that there's this, like, cause I'm aware of the massiveness of like the infinitude of consciousness and the potential that that has there, you know, like most of our limitations as human beings are self-generated or a result of a limited physiological framework or neural networks. And so I'm so fascinated by this idea is like, how much can I fucking uncap these neural networks? How much can I direct this whole being towards a specific intent? How much can I align all these pieces with consciousness and then let more consciousness through more consciousness in more consciousness, like expressing and then and, and like actualizing that's that to me is like that's why i wanted to have this conversation i'm fucking obsessed with it yeah no like i, I love all that you said and i can't disagree with any of the, any of that that's that's all um i, I mean there, there's nothing there that i would disagree with you definitely have to have a physical structure you definitely open channels to certain pathways that uh guide to what your behavior is can that be modified? Absolutely. And that's self-actualization. That's the whole Tony Robbins uh, world um, of self-actualization, right? Um, now, do uh, you know that book, Levels of Energy? Me and you both read it. You know what yeah. it is, right? And uh, the audience probably doesn't know what it is. It's basically like there's different energy sit from one to a thousand. It could be one to 10. It doesn't matter what the scale is. And there's certain energies at certain areas, right? So for instance, at the, the level of the mainstream is 220. It's very much entertainment focused and, uh, you know, stay as is. And the level, let's say 275 is the level of like Las Vegas and, and uh, you know, uh, being obsessed with sex and uh, like everyone's got pockets of energy here and there, right? And then there's, you know, uh, 300s. That's where the science and the rationality and the, that comes into play, right? Business so business systems and, and yeah, logic business and system and that 400s goes beyond that into the realm. I think that we're talking in 
Um, I, I don't mean to lower like, 400s. You're yeah. kind of looking at like innovation beyond the scope of the perceptual limitations of the 300s. Yeah. So like the 300s are all systems and they're creating systems within a bigger system. Mm -hmm. And then a 400s consciousness to me would be they're looking from outside the system for bigger solutions that could actually change the fundamental system itself. Yeah. So, you know, like a, an electric car, you know, would be a, a 400s idea kind of. Yeah. So basically uh, what I'm saying is we should have an episode on that to mm. further explain because this goes along with, you know, let's say you have a certain neural network, whatever it is you've built up. If you're residing at 200 or let's say mainstream 200, it's because you've built up a certain neural network to be there. But if you can access a 400 levels idea and you have neurology that's built up from a certain energy level, are you able to channel it in? Are you able to work with it? Maybe some people can, right? Maybe some people can't. So there's higher forms of expression that you can have. You know, the, um, like a easier example would be, uh, there's a certain phrase that's like, uh, great people talk about ideas. Some people talk about, you know, gossip. And then some people talk about, uh, uh, do you know that phrase that I'm talking about? I know, I know what you're talking about. I don't know it like ad verbatim. Yeah. Um, but I think it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, average it's like people good people talk. talk yeah. 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 You got to talk it. about other people and yeah. then, you know, great people talk about ideas. I don't, I actually don't. Yeah. Know. It's, it's the, that anyway. Right. So it's the, different levels of what you can bring your consciousness to. If you're walking around thinking about what your neighbor's doing and the gossip of your neighbor, that's your, in, that's your consciousness going into that. You're not going to manifest anything out of that. It's going to give you more of that. You're going to go, you're going to go to the restaurant and seek other people gossiping mm. because that's what you're thinking about. But if you're thinking about an idea and how to solve a problem, okay, which is very much a level of like, let's say, you know, Naudi thinks on this, how do I solve this problem? Right. Then you're resonating. You're going to go find that. You're going to go find either the solution or other people talking about that, right? So that is the way that consciousness goes beyond materialism in a very easily uh, perceptible, you way. know, yeah, you can look at it easily that way, right? Mm. It's, yeah, so. it's almost like that other quote, um, you can't solve a problem with the same level of mind that conceived it. Yeah. Or if you're too focused on the, the nature of the problem itself and you're not actually, your consciousness is not focused on the solution because there is a difference between problem consciousness and solution consciousness, right? Like this is, I think, um, if you think in terms of shades and qualities of consciousness, this has always been something that I was fascinated with. It's what drew me towards mind altering drugs in my early twenties because I was just so fascinated by this is like every, like my, my experience of consciousness is everything. How like deeply can I modify it? This is wild. You know, obviously now in my thirties, I'm not necessarily using mind altering drugs. I'm using knowledge and perception and, um, self-awareness to alter my states of consciousness. I'm using exercise. I'm using breath and physiology. Actually cool. Speaking of breath, I wanted to bring this up too. I've been doing a lot more uh, breath hold training a la Brian Mirabella, oxygen advantage style breath hold training. And nice. I've been doing it while I'm jogging. So I'll start jogging. I'll have a four second in six second out cadence. And I hold that for as long as I can. And then once I feel like I've comfortably warmed up and my, my oxygen levels have kind of like regulated at that pace, I'll do a breath hold while I'm jogging and I'll jog holding my breath until I feel a pretty like strong medium reaction to breathe. And I get that suffoc like I get the suffocation panic feeling so hard. The onset is really intense. And maybe that's because like when I was a kid, I almost drowned in a pool. Right. And so I have that, like that panic response of like almost drowning. Um, and then the, the, the goal is to control that panic response and breathe as softly in as I can, and then try to bring my breath back down to that four second and six second out pace as quickly as I can within six breaths. Right. And at first I'm doing that while jogging, I'm recovering while jogging. I do my next breath hold. Eventually I'm in such an oxygen deficit. I have to walk. And then eventually I'm just like, I have to stop and calm my breath down. But what I'm doing is I'm teaching my body and my nervous system to stay calm when I'm in that panicked, stressed response and to bring my level back down as quickly as I can. And what I'm noticing is that's translating to different scenarios in my life when I have to have like difficult emotional conversations with 
people who are close to me. When I'm stressed at work or like I lose all my work because my computer crashes, usually I'd be like, fuck, and I just close my computer. You know, I lost an entire website the other day and I'm like, well, I still have to do the work and I just opened it back up and I, I built the whole website and made sure to save 10 times as I was doing it. That, you know, I'm training my nervous system to respond to stress and to respond. This is the whole argument about the ice bath thing, I think where you're under stress and you're under panic and you're trying to regulate your nervous system and calm yourself down, you're mm -hmm. teaching yourself that state of consciousness and you're teaching it to be stable in a, a broader variety of things that would trigger emotionally challenging states. It very, it's very interesting, right? Like, okay. So imagine you held your breath, like you're doing the exact same thing you just described, but you got David Goggins in your head going like, are you enough? Are you going hard enough? Right. Versus this is so fun. This is amazing. Uh, like it, having a different state of consciousness as you're doing the same physical expression, the same material expression, having a different consciousness as you're doing it changes the experience. Right. Of course. So that in itself is interesting in terms of uh, materialism and non-materialism. Right. Because um, of course, the materialists would be like, well, I'll hook you up in a fMRI machine and we can just look at where that is. <laughs> I can't find I can't uh, find the source, but I know the electricity is there. So it's there. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, it's, you know, a lot of the stuff that Joe Dispenza measures at his meditation retreats are electromagnetic signatures and the, the, the coherence of the room that he's doing. So he can measure people's energy levels in different states of meditation. And he's showing that their electromagnetic fields are expanding when they're in certain states of consciousness. He's showing that the room is off the charts with these crazy readings when everyone's doing it together. So it's like these magnetic fields that are interacting with one another are creating a broader state of coherence. And they're creating a broader state of energy that impacts the entire room. And How did you like, do that? I would have to fact check that. I would have to yeah. go go look into that. But he, you know, he he has his ways of measuring it. I'll, I'll go look that up later. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, because you we'll you can up. measure magnet magnetism for sure. Mm. You can. I mean, I mean, with other magnets, right? And you can measure it with a not measure it, but you can prove it with a compass, right? And um, I'm sure there's counters, there's Geiger counters, there's things like that measure different frequencies. So maybe it's done like that. I don't know, but it would be interesting to know because if that's the case, then you can see, like, I, I think, I, I don't know a hundred percent, but I think most mainstream science would deny that there's like a bubble around your body of electromagnetic frequency, right? Like, is that a thing in mainstream science? I don't, I don't know. I think it's, it's definitely well... a thing in like the Joe Dispenza uh, Bruce Lipton world. I'm hearing more people talk about it and acknowledge it as a reality because it's measurable, right? Like there's actual quantifiable evidence that you can pull up and be like, are you really going to say no? Because like, look, look, we, we measured it. There's, here's your quantifiable materialist measurements, my friend. Like, what do you, like, what, what more do you want? Uh, I want it peer reviewed, gold standard, double blind, placebo controlled, <laughs> and I want it done by the top scientists, not just nobody. And I want it in a perfect scientific journal. What level of energy level. is that? That state 300s. of consciousness is 300. Well, yeah. But which, which, where on the 300s? I think that's like a three. Yeah. Somewhere around there. I, I don't know. I don't think the level of energy is complete. I think there's room for interpretation mm. all over the place. Right. But I do well, think it's you like, have, you could have that intent. You could have that like 330 where it's like integrity with the scientific method combined with a 190 intent to aggressively dominate another person's mind and perception. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, so I see could, that a lot. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Like out of the, uh, the whole like peer review crowd of like, if it's not peer reviewed, it's nothing. You know what I mean? Like toss it out. It needs to be peer reviewed. And of course we've done many episodes with this. The trick with that is your peers are agreeing with you already and you'll never get published if you don't agree with the peers. They're like, what are you talking about? That doesn't happen. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, like that doesn't ever happen. We're, the, we're there to debunk each other. It's like, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I don't think so, bro. But sometimes it works like that, right? Sometimes, like I'm sure there's each individual scientist, I'm sure a lot of them are pure intent. But whenever people get together, it turns into a system 
And then that system builds off of itself and becomes self-fulfilling uh, circle kinda, jerk of thought. You know? That's, that's kind of what I was talking about within like the 300s will build systems within a broader overarching system. The mm -hmm. broader overarching system has to be agreed upon for 300s level uh, advancements to take place. And the 400s are when people start to disrupt the 300s broad overlord system and uh, and start to create like revolutionary ideas or, or industry disrupting ideas, right? Where the standard is now fundamentally changed. So I have to get going, unfortunately, guys. This is a really amazing conversation that I could have just like kept harping on for a couple of hours. And I think we will continue on this theme because yeah, yeah for sure. I like talking about it. What about you? Oh, I love it. It's like, uh, it, it's great to get the thoughts out. Even mm. They're hard to, it's hard for me to explain what I have in my head because these conversations aren't had very much, right? No. So laying it and, out is even great. And uh, <laughs> even if you disagree, you can build upon the disagreement. You know yeah, what I mean? Of and, and, and have that conversation. So let's use yeah. these conversations to build out new neural networks, to build out new, uh, you know, frameworks of understanding. So that's kind yeah. of what the intent, the intent is behind this. So guys, thank you so much for listening to the art of move podcast. You can follow me at Anthony.Manuel, M-A-N-U-E-L-E -E on Instagram. Will is at The Art of Move. If you're listening on YouTube, leave us a comment. Let us know if you think consciousness is contained in the brain or not. <laughs> if you're listening on Spotify, obviously reviews always help. We really appreciate you. Send us a message. Let us know who you would like to have us uh, interview next, what kind of topics you'd like to hear us discuss. We always love getting feedback. And we'll see you on the next episode of The Art of Move. Have a good one, guys. Dude, that was sick. Dude, that was awesome. <laughs> that was really so cool. good. So good. That's like, I haven't heard a conversation like that in a long time. Like it just takes, like it takes me a lot of material. Trust mm. me. Like.